0: Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How's it going? Good. Woo! Good. Look at you guys. Hey, I missed you all last week. Uh, I was uh, I do a uh, an annual trip with my three best friends from uh, from high school and college, and so I was away last week. Uh, and Jeff was away last week, so I was just, like, relaxing last weekend. Jeff did a... Not, it wasn't just like a, a triathlon; it was a half Ironman, like. And so, for anybody who talks to Jeff from now on, um, just remind him he didn't do a full Ironman. Okay, um, I was kidding. So he did; he did a great job. You should ask him about it. Um, he uh, he he feels he he accomplished his goal of finishing the half Ironman. Um, and so. Uh, we, uh, we both missed you, but if you're new, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH, and we're launching into a brand new series called The, uh, the All Mighty Dollar, which um, it's pretty, pretty plain branding. You could probably guess what we're going to be talking about. We're going to talk about money uh, a little bit, and, um, you know, when we say we're going to talk about money in church makes people squirm a little bit. Makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like my money is my money. Like this is a private thing. It's a personal thing. I don't know why you feel the need to talk to me about my personal finances. Um, and this is a good reminder for all of you that my job is to not make you feel good about yourself. Um, my job is to look at scripture, interpret scripture and then talk to you about what it is that scripture says. And so when it talks about the idea of money, I'm going to talk to you about the idea of money. And to be fair, it makes me a little uncomfortable talking about it as well as an, a, an authority figure up here. Um, because I want you to hear very plainly, while um, I will be speaking about authoritatively from scripture, that does not mean that my wife and I have everything figured out. We are not the next Dave and Mrs. Ramsey. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. And so we have struggled with our finances just like everybody else has at some point in, uh, in their lives. And, and, and I think one of the reasons that Sarah and I have struggled with our finances, especially when we first got married, is, um, man, my mom and dad, they never talked to me about money, ever. And it wasn't because like they were like hiding things from me or anything like that. They never talked to me about money because it just came second nature to them. It was so easy for my parents to deal with money. Uh, my dad was a, a small business loan officer. He was a banker. He was. Some of you guys remember that bank, County Bank. It was in uh, the, the Central Valley, quite a few locations. He was the CFO of County Bank. Um, and so, like he like understood money. Uh, my mom was an accountant before she became a teacher. Um, and so, like money to them was like, oh yeah, money. It's not a problem. This is how you deal with money, and it's fine, and it's done, and we don't have to worry about it, right? And it wasn't because we were like super rich or affluent or anything like that. It was just because like, hey, they they understood. Money and they utilize these concepts um, that we're going to be talking about over the course of the last uh, or the of the next three weeks. Uh, but beyond that, my my mom and dad when they grew up, they also didn't have a ton of money, which is I think is the other reason that they didn't talk to me much about money is uh, you know my dad was uh, one of five kids and his favorite story that he used to tell me is that you know every like he, one of his snacks that he like his go-to snacks was always popcorn but he was all he would always burn the popcorn and I just thought he didn't like understand microwaves. Like, hey, just like, do, you know, do a few fewer seconds on the microwave and you'll be fine. But I asked him one time, Finally, I was like, dad, why do you always burn the popcorn? He was like, well, growing up, I was raised on hot dogs and popcorn. And if I learned to like burnt popcorn, I didn't have to share it with my siblings. So he learned to like burnt popcorn because he didn't have to share with his other four siblings. Like if you've ever heard of like a sibling move, like that is it, like hiding snacks under your pillow and intentionally burning stuff, that's it. Um, and then my mom uh, was one of four siblings, and, uh, and they moved around. And, uh, her, my grandpa, her dad was in the Air Force, and so they were never in need or anything like that. But her mom was a stay-at-home mom, um, and my grandma. And, uh, and so they never had tons of wealth or money or anything like that either. And so the way my parents were wired and the fact that their jobs that they had and, and that it was easy for them, they just simply never talked about it with me. So when Sarah and I got married, we were just like, man, I I don't, know, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do with all this money that we're getting because we were by definition dinks. Have you guys heard of this term? Dink, dual income, no kids. That's who we were, right? We were living the dream as dinks because we're like, man, we got all of this money, and we could just spend all this money because we got no responsibility, right? And so we were really just flippant with our money. Like it was like, oh, money came in and it'll right back out because guess what? There's going to be another paycheck coming really, really soon, and it's not that big of a deal. We don't have five other kids uh, to to feed or anything like that. Actually, Kyle and I have joked that uh, Kyle actually makes more money per capita in his household than I do as a matter of fact because I've got a ton of kids to support but but when we were it was just so flippant right it was like oh we have money and then money was out the door and so we thought like money didn't like whatever money and then fast forward actually to last week and I told you I was uh, on a trip with uh, with some of my buddies and and two of my friends are very very wealthy very well off God has blessed them both. They're brilliant. Um, And um, so we, we, we go to my friend's lake house cabin right we didn't rent it oh no my friend owns this lake house cabin we're getting up and you know drinking coffee in the morning overlooking the lake and it's glorious and it's beautiful and somehow he paid for rain to come down and clear the skies too like it was crazy right and then the first day we're there we're driving back to his lake house after playing uh shuffleboard like old man shuffleboard you know that one um i was sore afterwards side story anyway so we're driving back and uh, there's another cabin for sale, two cabins down from my friend. And so, so my other friend is like, hey, I think I'm just gonna put an offer in in that cabin. Is that cool? Like just flippantly like, hey, I can afford to do this so I'm gonna do it in my life. And so I'm sitting there later on that day as like this, woe is me, I'm the poor pastor, like I'm never gonna have all of the resources that you had. And like, I, so I like had to confess it to these guys and like talk to them about it and be like, hey guys, I got to be honest, I'm so happy that you guys have these things and happier that I'm your best friend because you'll let me use these things. Um, but I'm so happy God has blessed you with these things. But I got like my, my identity got wrapped up in money. Like it got wrapped up in, oh, I can't afford that. And that's not where, that's not where like, like I'm never going to be able to do this, like all of these different things. And I was just like my worth all of a sudden got tied up in money. And so when we're thinking about money, I think there's two different extremes that we tend to go to. The first extreme is money doesn't mean anything, right? Where, where it's a lot like Sarah and I when we were younger, where like money would come in. It's just kind of flippant, whatever. I can spend what I want, do what I want, and I'm going to spend that money. It doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. And then the other camp that we can fall into is that money means everything, which is what I fell into last weekend, right, where my identity, my value, my worth was completely and totally tied up with how big I can make my kingdom here on earth. And the truth of the matter is, is that scripture tells us that actually neither of those things are true. And if we look at money in general, money is neutral. It has no moral stance. If you set a dollar bill on the counter, it will do nothing until you do something with it, Right? And so like money it it is not good it is not bad what we do with it determines whether or not that money is used for good or that money is used for bad in the same way that if you set your car keys on the counter and you're a bad driver no one's going to get hit by you until you get behind that wheel right or if you're a good driver everybody's going to get to their destination based on that and so it has no moral value um, whatsoever what we do with our money really does determine uh, that, that moral value. And so we fall into one of those, one of those two camps. And, and within Christianity, I would call one of these camps the prosperity gospel and the other of these camps the poverty gospel. That it doesn't matter. And, and if you ever want to feel really, really spiritual, just talk about how much you don't care about money, right? was like, man, he's so spiritual. But what happens in, in, that, in that camp, what tends to happen is, is because money doesn't matter and there's no value, what tends to happen is like, hey, those are the people who will give excuses. Oh, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give an offering. I'm not going to give a tithe or anything like that. Well, my time is worth more than that. Money really has no value in the kingdom of God, da, da, da. But that simply is not true. So today we're going to be in Matthew 25. So you can flip there. It's not going to be on the screen because it's a longer passage that we're going to be reading. So you can go flip to Matthew 25, verse 14. And in this passage, Jesus is going to be sharing a parable. For those of you new to church, a parable is essentially a story, um, an allegory that you can kind of you can kind of uh, learn from. Um, and this parable in my Bible is titled uh, uh, the bag, the parable of the bags of gold. And it gives a good glimpse into at least partially what Jesus thought concerning money. So we're going to read this and we're going to pull some meaning from it afterwards. It's in Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through verse 30. Um, it says this, again, this is Jesus talking, it'll be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey." The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And all of us right now are really annoyed at the guy with five bags of gold, right? Like he's the suck up, like the guy in class who's like, teacher, look what I did. Teacher, you forgot. We did our homework. You didn't collect it yet. And everybody's mad at this guy. Verse 22, it says, the man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground see here is what belongs to you. Can we take a pause right there after verse 25? One of the things I want you to look at right here is just the attitude that these different people have to their master. The first two people, man, they are, they are happy of it with their master. They, hey, we're going to put your money to work, master. But this last person gives an excuse, and his excuse in this is, master, I know you're a hard man. I know you're a mean guy. I have a hard time with you, master. This person was not willing to give like out of abundance. This person was not willing to work out of abundance. And it has everything to do with who this person believed his master to be. And so as we're talking about this idea of money, your perception of God really is going to dictate your perception of money and even this message this morning. Because I'm going to call you to something difficult today, something that the vast majority of Christians have a difficult time with. And who you, what it is that you believe about God, who it is you believe your master is, is going to dictate your feelings about the concepts that we're going to talk through. So verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so again... This is an allegory. This is an extended story that we're supposed to pull meaning from. And so while it's talking about the idea of bags of gold, this is actually talking about stewarding the kingdom of God, stewarding the things that we have been entrusted with in a very real way. Okay? And so I know some of you, after hearing that, you're like, hold up. If I don't give my 10%, like if I don't give my tithe, Jesus is going to throw me out with weeping and gnashing of teeth, and I'm not going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not true. Okay, This is not talking about salvation. This is not talking about the character of God overall. This is talking about the idea of stewardship. And so can I ca- call another time out real quick? The stewardship, Christianese term, No one uses the word stewardship except us inside these hallow halls of Christendom, right? The idea of stewardship really is just the uh, steward. Steward means to manage, okay? And so it doesn't even have to be about your finances. It has to be about about uh, anything that you own. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you're stewarding your car well. It just means management, right? And so like you can steward. How are you stewarding your kids? How are you managing your kids well? How are you managing the information? How are you stewarding your information? that you have. How are you stewarding your online presence, your Facebook profiles? How's that stewardship going? How are you stewarding your marriage, right? Now hear me, I did not say stewarding your spouse. That's different, okay? You are not managing your spouse. Don't start that conversation. How are you stewarding your marriage though, right? So that simply means management is all that word steward means. And so in this context, in this parable, it is talking about Stewarding, managing the kingdom of God, everything that God has entrusted to us. It's that much bigger principle of stewardship. And so we really need to be willing to enter into some of these hard conversations um, and difficult, kind of life altering decisions so we can become more holy. That's the whole intention of this. I'm not going to talk about money just because we need money to keep the lights on here around the church. I'm going to talk about money because we need to continue to become more holy, and Scripture is teaching it uh, through it. So how is it that you are stewarding not just your money, but your entire life? And I think if we were to look at, at, at all of our checking accounts... And we'll get to that piece of scripture later where it talks about where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But I think if if we looked at all of our individual checking accounts, it would be very, very clear what it is that we value and who it is that we are becoming. Because where it is that we spend our money is really going to be the direction of your life. So in this parable, Jesus teaches three big truths uh, about our money. And as we enter into this, I want you to be aware that that what you believe about money, not just about who you believe God is, but what you believe about money, is also going to dictate what it is that you do with your money. So if you think that money ultimately does not matter, then you're going to be flippant with your money. You are going to act like money does not matter. If you think money is nothing, you are going to treat your money like nothing. Also, though, if you treat your money like it is everything, And you are going to act like money is everything. You are going to forsake things for the sake of patting your 401K. You are going to stay at work later and forsake your family for the sake of getting ahead a little bit more. You are going to take those extra overtime shifts. You are going to do all of this. So if money is everything, that is how you are going to act. But in both cases, whether money is nothing or money is everything, we have an issue with stewarding our life and our money correctly. So let's get into it. The first thing that teaches us, uh, that this teaches us is that everything that we have, you can probably fill in the blank, belongs to God. Everything that we have belongs to God. All right, and we, we see this in the parable. The owner, man, he left all of their stuff. It does not talk about the fact that, that these workers, man, they had other stuff that they invested or anything like that. It's like, no, everything that they had, the master gave to them. All of it, the five bags, the two bags, the one bag, didn't matter. Everything that they have belonged to the masters. And they were supposed to steward it well. We are managers of this money. And I know everybody, you know, we talk about when we talk about money, Oh, the church is getting money hungry. They're going to talk about tithing, we're going to talk about all of that, all of that stuff. Yep, we are. Um, and I'm not sorry about it. And by the way, a lot of you don't know this. That word tithe by the way, we use it improperly a lot of times. That word tithe literally means 10%. Okay? So when we say tithes and offerings, I think we've just tacked on the idea of offerings as like we don't understand what the word tithe means. We're going to say offering, so it's approachable for everybody. But a tithe literally means 10%. We get it from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 14, and I'll read that in just a second. Okay, but, but when the Bible commands that, like, a tithe, like, hey, you're supposed to give uh, uh, 10%, like, your tithe is not in place simply because the church needs to function, simply because we need to pay our water bill and we need to pay our lighting bill, just like the bills that you all need to pay Like that's not why we tithe, that is a byproduct of your tithe, but we actually tithe to remind us of who really owns everything. Deuteronomy 14 verses 22 to 23 tells us this. Now be aware, this is a very agrarian culture, right? This is a a culture that we probably all would have felt pretty at home in with dust and crops and all of that stuff that we get to enjoy uh, and smells and all that stuff. Okay, so this is what it says. Be sure to set set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Hear this last part. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. It doesn't say, hey, take a tenth to the place that God commands to worship so the, the priests have something to eat. It doesn't say, make sure you do that so the internet is a good enough internet so when you come in here, like you don't have to be roaming or whatever. Use your data. Roaming, what is this, 10 years ago? But that's not what this says. It says, hey, bring your tithes so you will learn to revere the Lord your God. That is what this is going down to. So, so like bringing a tent and setting it aside for God at the place he designates for worship. So back in the Old Testament, this would, be, uh, this would have been the temple. Today, it's your local expression of church, otherwise known as here. Welcome. Welcome. Right, like that's what this is talking about. And, and if, you, if you do not call this place your church home, you are under zero obligation to give. If you do call this place your church home, I'm not obligating you to, to give, but the Bible sure seems like it is. Right? And hear me on this. Even though scripture says that, hey, you're supposed to give 10% of your money, you're supposed to give your tithe to the church. Hear me. That is 90% short of what actually belongs to God. Right, so so we come and we're like, oh, I got my 10%, I wrote my, and now that other 90%, man, I can do with what I want to do with it. No, 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 100% of your money, 100% of your blessings, 100% of what God has given you is not yours. It is God's. In the same way that in this parable, that money that was given to the workers from the master was not theirs. It was God's. And God expected them to steward it Well. And this is where I get to feel a little awkward about it because obviously like your tithe goes to the church, the ministry the, the, that I am the figurehead of outside of Jesus, right? And, uh, and I feel like, hey, man, we got to keep the lights on. And man, if I don't tithe, Peter's kids are going to have really crooked teeth and like all of those different things, right? Like, like that's a real, a real concern um, for me. But, it, but it's our spiritual act of worship regarding money, like that's our spiritual act. Like we need to learn to re- revere God with every single part of our lives and saying, God, everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I do is yours. And here's a 10% reminder of that. That's what that scripture is saying. So every time we give, it's a reminder that everything that we have been entrusted with is God's. The second thing we need to remember is this. Is that God wants me to manage what I have wisely wisely. And so, so the master in this story wants the people to manage the money wisely, not just buried in a hole and call it a day. Like anybody could do that, right? And unfortunately, that's what a lot of us do with this information that we have regarding the kingdom of God. Forget about money for a second. They're like, oh, I have this great information. I've prayed a prayer and now I am saved. And so I'm going to dig a proverbial hole with it and shove all of that information in a hole so nobody can see it. It's not going to gain interest. It's never going to move forward, but I have the information nice and safe right here to myself. So when my master comes calling, I can then give it back to him and say, Hey, look what I did. I didn't lose it. It's a pretty low view of the kingdom and a pretty low view of salvation as well. We are expected to steward these things. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next principle further next week. But it's the 10-10-80 principle. Most of you are familiar with this principle um, if you've been in church for a long time. But we would say, hey, 10% of your income, your total income, should be a tithe, a gift, right off the top. Okay. The next 10% should go into your savings account, and the last 80% do with what you please. Hopefully, it's pay bills first and then have fun later. Right, but at 10, 10 80, and I know some of you will disagree, like you financial gurus out there, you're like, you idiot. And I'm like, that's okay, I'm a pastor, I'm not a financial advisor. <laughs> um, and then there, there's others of you who maybe are the Ramseyites and that sort of thing, who are like, that's not the right way to do that. You know, whatever it may be. Okay, but that principle remains still. So, ten, 10 80, we're going to talk about it next week, so... You don't have to come next week. I was just kidding. Please come back next week. And we're talking about money, and it makes me uncomfortable that all of you are not going to come. <laughs> okay. But, 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 like, stewarding and managing your money wisely is so necessary, and it has to do directly with your maturity in Christ. So if you're like, hey, I don't tithe and I don't save, I would actually question where your maturity at in Christ actually is. Okay, because again, this is, a, this is our spiritual act of worship. If you're maybe a new believer, your faith is you know, still kind of fresh or in its infancy, this is going to be hard for you to hear. Because maybe you're like most Americans, where, you, hey, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and, and it's difficult already, and hold on, now you're asking me to, to give 10%? What is this? Like so, some kind of country club that I didn't know I had fees to get into or anything like that? Like this is, this is difficult, and it's, not so, it's, it's the whole reason that, like, if you're new to faith or new here, that we don't, like, welcome you with, like, asking you, hey, welcome, you can give me your tithe now. Because that's uncomfortable for everybody. But this is what the Bible commands us to do. You know, we just got done with our whole discipleship series. And, and some people ask, like, hey, why didn't you put, like, baptism on there? We're Baptists. Why wouldn't you put baptism on that discipleship will? Don't you believe that people need to be? Yeah, I think people need to be baptized. I think if you call this your church home, I think membership is a great idea for you. And I also think that disciples tithe. And I also think that disciples save. Right? Because God has called us to steward our blessings well. And that's difficult and these last two beliefs, the, the, the first one um, that I shared and the, the second one really add up to this, this last one. The idea that, that God owns it all and we need to manage it wisely add up to our belief. The last belief on money this morning was just how I manage my money matters forever. How I manage my money matters forever. Now, I don't care if you listen to Dave Ramsey for three hours a day, I really feel like I'm throwing this guy under the bus right now. I love Dave Ramsey, by the way, and we offer a class that we're going to be offering in the next couple weeks, by the way, that Dave Ramsey put together. But Dave Ramsey oftentimes on his show will talk about, hey, change your family tree. Right? If you do this, if you save, if you do these principles, if you stay out of debt, if you do all these things, you can change your family tree. And I agree with that. And I think that's good and I think it's helpful. But I also think it falls short as to what it means to manage your money well as a Christian. Because if you're managing your money well as a Christian, if you're stewarding your money well as a Christian, it won't just change your family tree for the temporal while those people are on earth. It'll change it for eternity. If we manage our money well, it'll change it for forever. And oftentimes we think, you know, if I don't lose it, I'm going to, or if I don't use it, I'm going to lose it. And I can only reap from what I've been willing to sow. And the the fact is, when when I manage what I have well, if I live within my means, if I save wisely, if I give generously, I wind up making a big difference in the world around me now as well as forever, as well as in eternity. And when I do manage that wisely, God then rewards me with more. In the same way that in this parable, he rewarded those people with more, right? Remember the, 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 the class suck-up and that five-bag guy of money? Guess what he got? He got an extra bag at the end because he stewarded it well. He managed it well. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Most of you have heard this passage before. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." I was so wrapped up last week in my identity being like how much money I had and how big my house could be and this little kingdom that I was going to grow here. And at the end of the day, it's all going to be destroyed and, and someone will hate my house long after I'm dead and probably knock it down and build a brand new one. And, and and like everything that I own and all of my clothes and all of my food and everything ultimately at the end of the day is going to go back to the earth. And so, why not make sure that I am managing my money in such a way that it's going to make an impact for eternity, not just for the, for, for the temporary? That I want to change my family tree, not, not just financially for when my kids or my grandkids are alive, but I also want to change my family tree in such a way that, man, they get to be with God forever in eternity. That I would much rather, as, as verse 20 says, store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy where those things aren't going to be temporary. They're going to be forever. So I can see as I open up my checkbook that, hey, wherever I'm spending my money, that's where my heart is. I want to make sure that, that my money is being spent towards managing it well and, and being generous with it. That's what I want to make, make sure because God has called us. Everything that we have belongs to God, the savings, the tithing. like That's a reminder for us to be good stewards that we are called to be. And the nice thing about this is that actually in this parable, the master leaves. You realize that? He's like, he's going on vacation. By the way, congrats to that master for having eight bags of gold and also still having enough money to go on vacation, right? But he leaves. He's like, hey, here's my gold. Go ahead and steward it. I want you to manage that well. I'm going to take off. Our present reality, that is not the case. Our master has not gone. Actually, as a matter of fact, our master sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, to, to live inside of us, to help us make decisions regarding what it is that we should do with our money, with our life, and stewarding our kingdom, right? He did that after Jesus went to the cross and conquered death on our behalf. And as we worship Jesus, and as we worship God for being able to do that, we, got, we have to make that a part of every single part of our lives, not just as we're coming here and studying scripture and man, we're gonna be so smart when those people ask us about the gospel or, or not just when you come and you're, you, you know, you're singing and can I just say that last verse of Amazing Grace, y'all sounded great. But it's not just about worshiping God in those moments. It's not just like you know, sitting here and taking your notes and it's not just being in small group and being community and worshiping God well there. It's in every single aspect of your life, including your money. Right, Jesus talked about this second to, to second to only the kingdom of God. It was the amount of times that Jesus talked about money and finances? It's probably pretty important for us to get on that same train. And Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us to help us manage. These things, and he gives us wisdom, and, and in his word, he gives us a strategy that works for managing it well, and God gets all of the credit from that. But, church, just like everything else, like imagine what it would look like if the church actually practiced what it is that I am currently preaching or what it is that you say you believe. Right? Most of you in here, you're like, yep bible authoritative right and i agree with you every single word of it it's called the verbal plenary view of scripture write that one down Every single word is in there on purpose, and it is useful for teaching and preaching and rebuking, right? It is God-breathed, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says. And you would stand on that. You would say, yep, my Bible, I believe it's 100% true. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to our finances, we're okay just kind of glazing over a couple of those parts real quick. And say, hey, you know what? No, that doesn't apply to me right now. No, if you call yourself a Christian, it applies to you always. The expectation of stewarding your money well. It applies to you always. But imagine what the church would look like if we just like if we practice what it is that we preach, if we practice this idea of, of generosity. And I don't want to bring it back to like the local church, but let's make the rubber hit the road a little bit. Like, like what would it look like in our current context, FBH's current context? If we said, if every person here said, you know what, my tithe, like my spiritual act of worship with my money is an actual tithe. It's 10%. And I know that freaks some of you out who are like you're at zero. Start at 1%. Start at 2%. Start at 3%. Wherever you're comfortable with. And you work your way out. Regardless, if, if, if the body of Christ, if the family of God, Said, hey, you know what? You have 10%. I'm going to give 10% to the church. What would that look like? Most of you don't know, well, some of you know this. Did you know, $250,000 a year out of our budget, our general fund, goes straight to mortgage payments on this building. A quarter of a million dollars goes straight to mortgage payments on this building. And I love this building. It gives us a place to meet. We got a spot for kids. Like we got a commercial kitchen back over there. I got a pretty sweet office. Like I like I love this building, but my head can't help to go to what would we be able to do with an extra $250,000 every single year in regards to ministry? What would that look like? If the generosity of the church if the tithe of the church, what we have been commanded to do back in Deuteronomy 14, so we would revere God, what would it look like if we didn't have that extra two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of an albatross hanging over our necks? I always think about like this uh, this twelve acre field over here. You guys ever drive in and be like, why didn't we move closer to the road? Right, there's, a, there's a really ugly field that just sits there, and oftentimes it's full of weeds. Sometimes when it rains, like we, we do dry planting out there, and we get like, you know, hay or whatever. It's probably not hay, and farmers are going to get mad at me. But, and then we harvest it, and then there's more weeds, and then we get someone to come plow it up. And it's just like, what is that 12 acres for out there? And we had this big master plan, and it was a, it was a great plan. But ultimately, we never saw it through. So I think to myself, okay, $250,000 if the church got generous enough and we could knock that out. Man, the ministry that we could do with that field, like, what, like, can, can you just see, like, in your mind's eye, like, soccer fields out there that are open to the community with bathrooms that are actually open, unlike the majority of the parks in Hanford? Right or like like partnering with, with some sort of you know some sort of uh, a soccer league. So every single Saturday that that our field that we own that we manage that we get to take care of that young kids and families, hundreds of them, every single weekend could just be out there on that field and play soccer. And so then when somebody from their Oikos invited them to church and they said, oh where's where's First Baptist Hanford? They said, oh it's the one with the soccer field. It's like, oh wait, I've been to that place before. Yeah, I'll go there. Like, can you imagine the ministry that we could, like, we could hire, like, three and a half people, uh, two and a half people. Minimum wage just keeps going up, guys. (laughs) Two and a half people whose only job would be, hey, we're just going to get into the community and make connections in the community. And we're going to work with, like, local government and other nonprofits and different things like that to make inroads in our community. Like the amount of ministry that we could do with that extra $250,000. Man, it would just be mind-blowing. The generosity that we could give towards our community. We could do so much with it. And the thought is, well, okay, we got 14 years left on our mortgage. We have just under $3 million that we owe. I, I firmly believe that with the people here now and at first service that if the church actually got serious about tithing about our generosity it would take three years to pay it off three years i believe the money is in this room i believe it's an act of generosity that we need to be able to move forward it's an act of worshiping god with our money that would allow us to do the kind of ministry That we want to sit $250,000 more worth of ministry in our community. And it starts with our spiritual act of worship. That every single thing that we do, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How is it that you're thinking about money? Is it nothing? Is it everything? Are you willing to say, yep, it is neutral and I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. I'm going to steward it to the best of my ability. And that starts with honoring God with it and then taking everything else, taking care of everything else afterwards. That's our spiritual act of worship as we steward it. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for messages like this. Thank you for money and resources. And thank you that, that even as a church that we've never been in want, that you've taken care of all of our needs. Whether it was having to have a, a campaign where we had to quickly resurface the, the parking lot, or it was providing this building, or whatever it may have been in our history, God, that you have always shown up. And that our people have always shown up. But God, I would pray now that we wouldn't just be a church who gives in reaction to a crisis. That we would be overtly generous with our money. That we would simply say, that's what I believe. I believe in the word of God. I'm going to challenge myself to live according to that. Because I want to worship God with every single piece of me. Including my finances. Especially my finances. I pray we would be a church that would be marked by generosity, a church that would be marked by fiscal responsibility, and a church that would be marked by, man, getting into the community and utilizing the resources that you've gifted us with for us to steward them well and steward your kingdom well. God, I pray that, <laughs> that this <clears throat> would take root. And maybe there's those in here who are like, this is a weird. Sunday for for me, I just wanted to come and, and hear about Jesus. And this is what Jesus believed about money that we should, he should be worshiped with every single part of us through song, through the word, through our money, through our lives. And if you're here today and you have, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you have not yet placed your faith in him. And you want to worship him with every single part of you. Or maybe you're here today and you've said yes to him. But for some reason you're still hanging on and white-knuckling your, your finances or your sin or, or whatever it may be. Maybe you need to pray this prayer again. And just re-up and recommit your life to him. But if that's you today, you can just pray along with me and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I fall short every single day. And B, I I believe though that you sent your son to die on the cross for me and that it's my job to to steward his kingdom well. That the local church is God's, is your plan A for the world and it's my job to steward it, what, what your son ushered in as he conquered death. And C, I would choose to follow him. That my life would look like worship to him in every single aspect, every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.